In the crowded SD-WAN market, don't overlook Open Systems, a packet pusher's sponsor. Open Systems brings security, automation, and expert management to let you focus on other aspects of your network. Get visibility, flexibility, and control combined with performance, simplicity, and security with SD-WAN from Open Systems. To find out more, go to www.open-systems.com slash packet pushers. If you do, you can get a free beanie and Gartner report on the economics of SD-WAN. That's www.open-systems.com slash packet pushers. One of today's snazzy sponsors is Quest Software, your go-to for everything Microsoft. Move, manage, and secure Active Directory, Office 365, and much more. Visit quest.com slash datanotspod to find out more. Quest.com slash datanotspod. Today we bring you a special Data Knots episode. Greg Farrell, Packet Pushers Podcast Network co-founder, along with me, strapped on his very best spacesuit and took a rocket to the Google Next 19 conference. There, he ran into three fellow Data Knots with expertise in chaos engineering, business intelligence, and cloud migration strategy. They sat down in the convention center and had a chinwag. I'm Ethan Banks, your MC today. Chris Walsh, cherubic laugh, and acerbic wit will be back very soon. Since 2015, Datanauts has been a part of the Packet Pushers network of podcasts for information technology professionals, and you can follow us at Datanauts underscore show. And now, enjoy this special edition Datanauts with Greg Farrell leading a roundtable discussion from Google Next. Welcome to Packet Pushers. This is a special community episode which I'm recording from the Google Next conference. Now, one of the mysterious things about the Google Next conference is just how diverse and inclusive this whole place is. If you're ever lucky enough to come to the Google Next events, what you'll notice is that there's there's um, all sorts of different people actually here, and it's very global. Unlike a lot of conferences these days, which are actually very regionalized. A lot of times you come to conferences in a particular country and all of the people that are there. So one of the things that I did today is as I was moving around, as I was chatting to people, and ended up talking to a bunch of wonderful ladies who tech, right? So why don't you introduce yourself to the Packet Pushers audience? Hi there, my name is Anna Medina. I currently live in San Francisco, California. I'm currently working at a small startup based out of California that focuses on helping companies do chaos engineering. We offer a SaaS platform for them. Uh, I've been working at this company for about a year. Prior to that, I worked at Uber as a site reliability engineer and a software engineer. So you're a hardcore nerd. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely really like uh, diving in deep into technology stacks and just learning a lot about them. Right. Let's just quickly cap. Chaos engineering is the art of just randomly breaking stuff in the hope that you're going to break something because if something breaks, you can make it better by fixing that. Right? Yeah, so uh, the company that I work for, we carry a slogan that says break things on purpose. Mm. You want to do chaos engineering in a very thoughtful and very planned way. You don't want to just go in and randomly unplug in your data center and it's like, oops, I just did chaos engineering. It's like, no, you want to like think about like, okay, let's see what actually happens if I shut down the server or if I like maximize my disk or I black hole all my traffic so to my API. Planned and 
strategized than a, just a random sort of turn the server off type thing. A hundred percent. You right. you don't want to break production. Like that's not the end goal. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to find where are the spots that your infrastructure, your application can have issues, and then make sure that you build things to make them more reliable. So at the you're end expecting day. things to happen because that's the purpose, but you're not planning to have things break as such. Yeah, like we completely say, don't run a chaos engineering experiment if you know that things are gonna go sour. <laughs> so you want to have some confidence in doing this chaos engineering experiment. Yeah. So we think of it using like a scientific method okay. where you come up with a hypothesis is like, if I black hole all my traffic to my database, well, I'm gonna hope that the web does UI my has application, a Yeah, does my application layer disengage and does my web layer then present a suitable failure error to the user so that the user gets a graceful failure? 100% that. Hey. So but it's you like wouldn't you just turn the database off in mid stroke. You yes. Know, yeah. yeah, and you want to let folks know also, like, especially like when you have team dependencies and other dependencies in that space um, that also work in that. For sure. And yourself? Hi, my name is Letitia Kemp. I work in the UK for a digital advertising company. I look after everything that's data related. Uh, I'm the BI person there. And I started working there uh, about a year ago and they didn't have a, a data team. So they basically wanted to sort of um, move, um, sort of grow um, their company with different revenue streams. So they thought data was pretty important. So I had just finished a data science master's back then. Mm -hmm. And obviously we found each other. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, um, lots, lots have happened there. So I've automated all of the reporting that they yep. do for their clients there. So you're sitting there with this mass, with a company that's got a massive pool of data. And when you say business intelligence, most people think of a spreadsheet, but I think you're actually like um, trying to troll the, the data pool for signals about what the business is happening or, or for reality in, in, the, in, the, in the data part. Yeah, that's so interesting you say that, that when, you, when you say about um, business intelligence, you think about spreadsheets because <laughs> what you actually advocate there is just like forget about spreadsheets because, you know, we've... We've got to move to tools like Tableau and things that kind of can handle um, the data at like a larger format. And uh, at the end of the day, when you find agencies today, they're really struggling with, you know, taming the data. So for a digital ad agency, I guess if I'm thinking about it, you've got all of these ads out there being placed. Yeah. And you've got all this data that the organization collects from the ads that you're out there. You go and put an ad on somebody's ad network. But what the customer wants is to find out, is the ad working? But when you say for some definition of working, you're looking for signal or yeah. something? You're looking for what? No, no. We're, uh, we're looking for metrics, right. yeah? Because, for example, we buy usually from seven different media platforms. So hmm. you have LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, Google, and we are Google partners. Hmm. And then, you know, um, Spotify, uh, Snapchat, and... We have to report to our clients how their campaign are going because we are buying, you know, those places for them. And we, there are literally hundreds of metrics. And that means I have to get hundreds of metrics from each of those platforms. And I have to download this data from, separately from all of these platforms. Actually unify that data. <laughs> but each of these platforms have their own data format. So it's not exactly. just a case of saying slap it in, slap it in because exactly. Google counts its 
accounts of this that way. Facebook's got its own way because they think they're smarter than anybody exactly. else. Twitter does it that way because their platform operates in this way. So you yeah. actually have to bring the data together and then make it sane by comp- trying to find an orange and an orange instead of, you know... Exactly. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So um, basically, we just put everything together and then we we kind of make it make sense to the client to say, okay, you've had that many clicks, yep. you know, this is the, the time that it was most expensive, this is, you know, how much is spent and how much is left for you to spend, and, you know, uh, currently... And I guess, I guess yeah. that's only important to customers who are spending big money. This isn't like $50 worth of ads. This oh, is no, yeah. million, multi-millions of that's dollars correct, worth of yeah. ads. And they want to make sure that, you know, they've dropped $5 million on an ad buy spread across Facebook, Twitter, Google, blah, blah, blah. And they want to find out, you know, out of the tens or hundreds of millions of ads that they've placed, which ones of those work, because they want to spend the next million in the places that work, not the places that, well, I guess, didn't. Yeah, they want to be able to follow it. And then for for them to follow, we actually have to provide proper reporting. And actually, to come up with the reporting is pretty hard. And we found that... All agencies are actually experience a lot of difficulties with that. So now yeah. we started providing consultancy for agencies, um, which is yeah, which has been great. Yeah, they're starting. The agencies are starting to in-house that stuff again. They're starting to realise they have to own that. They can't just rely on the platforms to do that. Because, oh yeah, absolutely. Because as you've, you've got to be able to report it. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. I've been in IT infrastructure for so long, and we very rarely see ladies or women in tech in that sense. And very rarely do we actually get to talk to them about what they're doing. And it's very easy for that to just become invisible. And that bothers me because if you're not visible, then it doesn't, you don't happen. But you've got a great story to tell too. Uh, Yes, well, uh, I have been working in this industry 20 years. So I know what (laughs) I'm talking about and I I understand what you say. Uh, Too few girls around. But anyways, I think it's so, so interesting. I'm super in love with what I do. It's Mm. uh, really, it has been changing so much. So all the um, professions that uh, those uh, wonderful ladies told about, they are new. Mm. So they are just in the edge of the new stuff that's happening in industry. So it's uh, really a privilege to, to hear about you. So what I do mainly, I have been working uh, in the inter- industry many years. So um, now the most important project that we are working on uh, in my company, uh, it's an um, Argentinian company, uh, we do migrations. Because um, sometimes a bi- uh, big companies have their legacy infrastructure and they want to move to the cloud. So you're a cloud migration consultancy? Yes. Helping companies lift and shift into Absolutely. the cloud? Absolutely, yes. Right. Uh, sometimes it's lift and shift, sometimes they need to re-engineer stuff. So that's the more um, interesting part to yeah. just realize what what is the um, no downtime strategy that they need to do, yeah. you know? Is it better um, for companies to lift and shift into the cloud? So this is one of the big debates that I hear a lot in enterprise IT is, do companies lift and shift? So do they pick up what they have and drop it into the cloud and try and make it work and then organically start spinning up new projects as cloud native? Or are they better organically moving in and starting to do their next project as a cloud and then start to shift as they can? Well, it depends on the management. Um, some uh, super huge company, they are just like big elephants. They move super slowly. So I have been working in migration uh, since 2012. And now, 
uh, some companies have the same problem and they are just starting by now moving from on-premises to the cloud. Yeah. And some other companies are moving from another vendors to GCP. So yeah. there, there are a lot of, you know, we are in a moment where uh, there is a big, huge variability in different companies. So I think one of the things I think about cloud particularly is the lack of skill in enterprise IT. Like a lot of people who work in enterprise IT just don't have the necessary skill or motivation or training or opportunities because they've often been locked in this. But one of the things that somebody pointed out to me recently was that a lot of the people who work for the cloud companies or doing the cloud migrations are just are enterprise engineers. Yes, right. yes. The fact is that um, you need to recognize that if you want to work in the cloud, you need to code, <laughs> and that I think it's a huge uh, difference. You know, if you are able to learn how to code, you are more open to move to the cloud. And if you don't, it's that, that uh, group of engineers uh, for them is very difficult to move to the cloud. So but you don't need to be a coder. You need to be able to do some programming so that you can understand how clouds can be operated because it's very software driven or programming driven or automation driven. It's not that you actually need to spend 10 years mastering algorithms in C. It's just enough to be able to, you know, what's an API, how do I program and to write some pretty rough code to glue the bits together. Is that Yes, fair? I confess that I have been studying so much this, uh, these years because I'm an electronic engineer. I decided to be an electronic engineer because I didn't want to code. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know, but I have been suffering so much. I don't know. Anyway, my, my engineering degree anyway. in and doing radio theory and radio signaling, I'm just not... I went to computer software and I was just out. I was gone. <laughs> I just never wanted to go back to RF and electronics. Yes, but I understand that uh, you need to figure out the positive things about the new, uh, the new architectures the, um, it's super based in networking, so I'm a telecommunications also engineer, so I, I just try to focus on that mm. because uh, it, uh, the paradigm is really changing and you need to be prepared for that. So one last question, service mesh. We've seen a lot, Google's been very big on service mesh using Istio and driving it as a network visibility tool. Is that something that you're seeing as something really useful, something really valuable? Absolutely, because uh, all the cloud is uh, based in networking. The ma magic is networking, because sharing all the um, uh, all the compute is based in networking, and uh, well, uh, all the um, all the tools that help you do that, it's just like um, the, uh, managing the the magic below all that. So. I, I understand that um, you need to have um, a huge amount of background yeah. to manage well this kind of parts, but uh, anyway, it, it worth do it because it's the future. Anna's discussion of chaos engineering grabbed my attention because I had to think about it in a way that I haven't before. Historically, I would perform post-built system testing in a predictable way, break big things and make sure failover worked. Chaos engineering is about breaking things in unpredictable ways and seeing how the system reacts. As system complexity increases, this sort of testing becomes necessary as our minds cannot predict the multitude of ways in which a system can fail. Just because a system like cloud might be simple to operate doesn't mean it's actually simple.
Let's take a break from our show to talk about Open Systems, one of our sponsors here on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. Open Systems provides secure SD-WAN to the world. That means your company can grow globally without having to choose among security, scale, or simplicity. Open Systems wants you to have it all and to save money over traditional WAN vendors who don't care about you while you do it. Imagine that. Give money back to the business so that they can grow. Reduce that global WAN budget line item and at the same time, build a WAN that doesn't suck with a vendor that wants you to succeed. With Open Systems, you get their integration of best of breed SD-WAN with security. Open Systems describes this as embedded security at every layer of your network, edge to edge. At the same time, it's easy to operate their SD-WAN through automation that even has a bit of artificial intelligence helping out. And if AI doesn't impress you, well, hey, you get access to humans too. That's right, real people that can help make your WAN as good as it can be. On the front end, you can partner with Open Systems SD-WAN experts to design, architect, and even manage your wide area network. And on the back end, network and security engineers follow the sun to help resolve issues quickly in more than 180 countries. Open Systems delivers the visibility, flexibility, and control you really want with the performance, simplicity, and security you absolutely need in your network. Request a free assessment by going to their website at www.open-systems.com slash packetpushers. There, you can request a stylish Open Systems beanie and download a Gartner report on the economics of SD-WAN. Open Systems, the network for growth, zero compromise www.open-systems.com slash packet pushers. And now back to our show. I sometimes think networking is the hardest part of the cloud, but nobody's kind of woken up to that yet. Like, there's enough, because networking is generally not a problem, you can solve a lot of networking problems just by throwing bandwidth at something. But I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that a lot of the time, you, you're doing chaos engineering, so you'd be... You'd have some insights into networking. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the number one things that sometimes we see is, uh, like, DNS being the issue. So, kind of people forget, like, oh, yeah, I have a uh, DNS provider. I'm set. But you even come to the thing is, like, what actually happens if a DDoS, like, attack happens to your primary DNS? Well, you just might literally lose your entire website, all your applications, and, like, you might not be able to get anything to resolve. (laughs) So... We even start thinking, like, we start telling folks, like, have you thought about having a secondary uh, DNS provider? But, like, we can start going down, like, lower down the stack. And it's, like, what actually happens if you're dropping, yeah. like, if dropping packets into your connection? So sometimes, like, I, I speak a lot in the U.S., so, like, a lot of engineers that are based out of here. But I'm, like, have you considered to, like, your customers that they're not necessarily getting, like, almost a gigabyte of Internet on, like, their home connections? Have you thought about the fact that their Internet is a lot less? like like has less packets in it yeah. therefore you want to make sure that they're also having a good experience like how does the UI even like show up for them mm. it's going to take a while to load up the JavaScript that you have or like the CSS so like start thinking about even that part of it to yep. the point of like just injecting latency into my favorite one is watching enterprises internet connections ramp up when they get into the cloud and then going, oh, but it's only 60% loaded. And you're going like, oh, my gosh. You're not measuring the latency <laughs> or the response time of the transactions because your baseline might be 60%, but you've only got a 40% spike. Yes. And they don't start thinking about it. And they're going like, but it's not full. I'm going like, it's like a freeway in the morning. At 60%, your freeway's dead. You know, it's, well, it's, it's, it's traffic jam. There's even the part that folks think that like, yeah, I just moved on to the cloud. We're going to smooth sail from here. And it's like... 
cool. Yeah, you just got to the cloud and someone now manages your stuff. <laughs> There's might be some reliability, like some higher reliability yeah. than when you had when you were managing your own bare metal structure. But at the same time, now you have abstractions. What? Here's an interesting idea, and I'd love to throw this at you. One of the things about owning your own infrastructure is that you can never exceed the capacity of certain things because you've only got a finite amount of it. So if you've got a data center with 500 servers, you, those 500 servers can't even produce enough traffic to overload a one-gig internet connection, right? And so it's not really something that people think of most of the time. And then suddenly you get into the cloud and you're spiking all these services by hybrid clouding between your data center and, the, and what you've jumped into the cloud and suddenly someone starts to replicate a terabyte of data. <laughs> yeah, I actually just gave a talk earlier today on performance testing and mm. like how chaos engineering can come in and also supplement that. So like the talks prior to me were a lot about like load testing and stuff like that. So with chaos engineering, I always kind of like like telling folks like this is just another tool in your tool set to make sure that you're like highly reliable to anything that might happen, whether mm. it's a previous outage that you might have or another outage that has happened in the space. And then it's a great way to prepare for like high traffic spikes. Yeah. So at Uber, we made sure to use chaos engineering for preparing for our quote-unquote Black Friday days, mm -hmm. which for Uber, that meant like New Year's and Halloween, like days that folks didn't want to be driving because they were going to be out drinking. So, well, yeah. so, so how do we spike the loads yeah, like to you, try and you simulate You want to think them. about like what actually happens on the network layer when you have a mm. lot of users on it, but you also just have all your microservices running around trying to handle that load. Yeah. So it's like not only do you have a load on the network, but all your yeah. microservices also need to do millions of requests per second. Yeah, we, I used to work at gaming companies. I was very, did a lot of work for gaming companies in the UK. And there's like particular events that drive these really spike loads. And they happen, one of them was, a, there's a big horse race that happens once a year. And the load jumps by 500%. And so we, we spent all year building up the capacity to predict the next spike. And there'd be this massive investment and all this spending and servers would be rolled out and pipelines and then we'd all be sitting there, fingers crossed, <laughs> waiting for the spike and hoping that the firewalls would hold up and the IDS is, you know, no idea exactly what... You're doing data analytics and business intelligence. Yeah. We were talking earlier today about um, how um, that infinite scale of the cloud changes the way that you operate. Because you don't have to worry about having enough resources, you can always just click a button and buy more servers, capacity, and it's a SaaS. You don't even have to think about it. Exactly. And then especially when you, we're talking about um, data visualization, you, you, the last thing you want is to, you know, to click something and, and wait for the, the graph to respond and the graph just sits there. You, don't, <laughs> you do not want that to happen. So Let's go get a coffee. We'll be back in 20 exactly. minutes. Exactly. It's just like um, the spinning we'll see if there's any <laughs> of death. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You don't want that to happen. So, um, yeah, if you've got, like, massive data set and you're trying to run visas out of that, yeah, mm. cloud is, is... It must really change the way that you go about it because you can just click a button get a resort, you can hold all the data that you ever collected yeah. for infinite periods of time. And so you can start to get a different sort of a view. I, I, I'm only imagining, uh, is that? Yeah, look, um, we've got, um, yeah, like, my, my, my favorite thing to do is like, get yeah, like, oh, we've got like 15 years of data. This is just on one, like on top of my screen. And then you've got basically, um, you can um, you can have a time slider, oh. literally, and then you, you you go up and down, and then you can see what happened 
Um, you can get your favorite KPIs up there, and then you, you, yeah, you don't even have to change screens, no formulas, <laughs> no anything. You just visualize it. And you just let it go. <laughs> let it go. And just keep funneling the data in and getting more noise out of that signal. More noise. <laughs> <laughs> about the big data is yeah. I always talk about the, the iceberg what you see at the top is like that data that you think that you have and then when you look at the bottom it's just like oh noise <laughs> yes. it's just like all that data that you don't want yeah. but you have to sort of pick through that to find the bits that you want and join them together mm. so then you find out what it is that you want. We had an interesting talk today about machine learning and artificial intelligence and how they put together the different models and the neural nets. It must be not the same for you, but similar sort of way, that ability to suddenly do things you couldn't do before. You would have once spent hours cleansing the data and bringing it together yep. and then writing scripts in R to try and, you know, some, you know... Yeah, I mean, there are... There are things that um, you could do these days that, you know, certainly even like, I'd say, a few years ago you couldn't, especially with visualization, especially with interactive visualization, yeah? Because, I mean, if you've got a static visualization, yeah, whatever, you can't move that, but to have an interactive visualization and be able yeah. to travel 15 well, years of, yeah, of, so I think you know, of data, that that that's a lot. Visualization tech has come a long way too. So web browsers with Sankey diagrams in the, the D3 library to render out viable visualizations that actually mean something that you can give to a client who's probably not very good at math and not very good at understanding data and you can actually give them a chart and they go like, oh, I, I can see what you mean. Exactly. You know, the discussion about load spikes really captured me here. Traditional IT engineers are used to designing systems for peak load. You spend as much as you can to implement the biggest system possible to give you as much headroom as possible to handle the biggest load the system is ever likely to see for its expected life cycle. But that's a really old school approach that would cost way too much in the cloud. Managing spikes becomes an on-demand exercise where elastic compute supplies the needed headroom in real time. The problem? Many existing enterprise apps are not designed for this, meaning that moving to cloud via lift and shift becomes too expensive since you're stuck in the old world of designing for peak. With cloud, you want to pay for what you actually need, not pay for what you might need. One of our sponsors today is Quest Software, your go-to for everything Microsoft. In a nutshell, Quest takes the complex things about your Microsoft environment and makes them easier to deal with. For instance, let's say you're dealing with a move to cloud, or maybe a merger, or maybe you're doing both at once. What happens? With too much to do, you start making mistakes. You give out more permissions than you should because you got too much to deal with and sticking that user and that group and that OU wasn't the right thing to do, but it was the convenient thing and it lets you go back to writing that script to help you migrate accounts. Oh yeah, your scripts, the canned tools, some open source thing you found, you're stirring all this stuff together with a keyboard and a mouse, and it's sort of working to get the project done, kinda, as long as no one else has to use it and the CSV files are in just the right format. Ugh, it's ugly. This is where Quest software fits in. With Quest, you can migrate without end-user disruption. You can improve the migration process by using more automation and less roll your own and hope it works. And you can maintain a compliant internal security posture. 
No more over-permitting because you didn't have time to figure out how to do it right. Quest fits in when you're facing migration to a new SharePoint or you're migrating to a new Office 365 environment. You're consolidating AD and Exchange. You're securing Active Directory from insider threats and more. Quest has been doing this for a long time. They help manage 184 million AD accounts today. Plus, they've migrated over 95 million accounts and 74 million mailboxes. They have had time to get their software right. Something that Gartner recognizes about Quest, listing them as the only cloud office migration tool offering all 40 features and functions key to have. By the way, Quest isn't only selling software and hoping it works out for you. They also have a support team you can reach 24 by 7 by 365. And if you just rolled your eyes because you hate vendor tech support, Quest has been recognized eight times for customer support excellence and has a 93% customer service satisfaction rating. Odds are that if you do need to call Quest support, the experience is going to be pretty good. To learn more about Quest software, your go-to for everything Microsoft, visit quest.com slash datanotspod. One more time, that's quest.com slash datanotspod. And we thank them for being a Datanauts sponsor. <laughs> the cloud migration process, like if you, I mean, that's like one of the hottest topics around these days. Have you got a story about a customer that you've worked with, like no names, no pack draw, about just how painful it can be? Because I can imagine you've seen some pretty painful stories. And what did you do to get them to, like, to change or to be adaptive? Uh, well, um, the fact is that um, most successful um, stories regarding migrations is when they, they realize that they have to learn, they have to, they have open minds, you know? Otherwise, the, the process is super slow, and uh, it has to do with politics inside a company, you know, because people start to think that they will lose their jobs because um, uh, they don't understand, they don't visualize. So uh, you really need to uh, be aware of teaching, um, of teaching or, or explaining every, everything and start from zero because uh, I, I really don't like um, when people that are just like um, older than us. Yeah. Uh, they really don't know where to start from. And then I like to uh, explain and start um, sharing materials, you That's know. That's a real problem when somebody who's been around for 20 years just goes like, and they don't want to think about, they're not ready, or they don't want to make the transition because they're tired or they're comfortable or whatever reason, then, you know, that change to the cloud is really different. You, you would have seen this as well. Yeah, um, I mean, we definitely see those very often. Like, so we actually work with a lot of companies that are doing cloud migration that are like, oh, we don't want to start with chaos engineering until we finish migrating to the cloud. And it's <laughs> like, well, you're going to have more extractions when you get to the cloud. So why don't we actually yeah. flesh out a lot of the failures that you do yes. see? So let's do chaos engineering before you migrate yeah. to the cloud but it's and so then continue it's like, doing that, it. That is so weird. If you're somebody who's been doing IT for 30 years and you're saying like, yeah, let's map out the failure and then practice failing as we do the development, that's like, oh, uh, hang on. Yeah, we definitely <laughs> we don't even yes. have it yet. It like, also how can happens we with people that yeah. is super young yeah. and they are no open. They think that they understand everything. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> this process... <laughs> so the flip side of the boring yes. and, you know, is that young people think yes. they know it all and you they're all hot to trot and they just race off and, and try and, yeah. Yes, you need to be super flexible. You need to study a lot. You yeah. need to, uh, for instance, I'm not an example of anything, but I need to change my, my way of thinking. I need to start coding, you mm. know. And 
and then um, well uh, the fact is that you need to um, to think that data centers are the same I when I start talking because I give sometimes talks mm. regarding that you need to think that data centers are the same the same elements but they are just configured in a subtle different way mm. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> but just uh, you need to to start from a common base yes. and then start explaining <laughs> but then um, you know sometimes uh, I did a, a huge migration in a, in a broadcast company yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just in two, uh, 2012, and then um, we the there was a failure in in the cloud provider, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was it was just a uh, design on the cloud. Yeah. So it was brilliant because nobody realized <laughs> because it has two zones, yeah. use two zones. So I was so happy because. I was the manager at the time. I did the migration, <laughs> yeah. and it was just like the first migration in the company. Yeah. And the, the, the cloud provider failed in one zone, yeah. but we had the other, and nobody realized that. So <laughs> th this is the magic that you need to. If you design well, mm. you may sleep well. You uh, have yeah. a greater success. You know, I, you I need to take advantage of that. Part of the challenge of the cloud, I think, or what I think I know, is that the design of your apps is actually more important than it used to be, right? Because in the old days, your vendor would come along, tell you how it's got to look, they'd use their standard, you know, inverted commas, best practices, in other words, most profitable practice, um, and then shove something at you, and then you would just wind the handle like a little hamster and crank it over and away it would go. And the design would be done once a decade, and then, you know, it would sit in the corner like a pile of compost until it rots, right? Into, into a pile of manure. So I think that a lot of people miss the fact that design is more important than it used to be because there's no one telling you what it should look like. There's no one way of doing it. Yeah, and there, there was one talk and I almost cried yeah. <laughs> because it separated <laughs> the That's developers from... <laughs> the developers from the operations and I have been always in operations and we were just like all the marketing staff all the present all the perks go to devel developers and operations always hiding but now with the DevOps with a new cloud environment uh, we are just participating and I'm so happy about that <laughs> we receive perks too <laughs> the DevOps movement has been great especially also like the SRE uh, movement as well and to me, it's been interesting because like, I actually came into like, the SRE and DevOps movement like with a fresh set of eyes. I had never done infrastructure prior to that. And I was like, oh, this all makes sense. So it's always interesting to hear what the old ages were like in a way. Like, or I guess not old ages, I should say, but like just a few years Please ago. Don't that. <laughs> so back in my day, let me just tell you a story from when I was doing this. Was back in my day, when I first started out and it was still Unix and mainframes and mini computers, there was an operator who spent their whole life writing scripts in various languages, Picos on Primes and, you know, all those types of things and Bash on, H, on the Unixes of the era. And they would literally do what I would think of as DevOps. So DevOps to me is not new. It's actually a reinvention of an era gone past. And it's actually bringing back the old skills of operations, which was, I need to glue all of these tools together that we used to have. It's not, to me, it's not new. It's just like, oh, we've rediscovered where we actually came from. I don't know what you guys... We realized that these people do something important. <laughs> well, it was very different back then, too. It was all, you know, you, you didn't get a fully rounded out system to work. You had all of these tools and you had to chain them together. The old Linux strategy, Unix strategy, you know, chain together some grep with some 
you know, some sad and some orc and all that sort of stuff. But that was literally the automation of the era. It was a different type of kind. Now, unfortunately, we're being chased out of this venue where we are. So I want to say thank you. Why don't you go around and inter- say your name and the company that you work for. So if anybody wants to find you. Yes, my name is Anna Medina. I work at a company called Gremlin. You can easily find me on Twitter under Anna underscore M underscore Medina. Thanks for having me. Hi, my name is Leticia Kemp or Letty Kemp. I work for Crunch Simply Digital and you can find me on Twitter at Letty Kemp, L-E-T-Y Kemp. Hello, this is Marisabel Rodriguez from Argentina. I work in Globant. My Twitter is Marisabel as my name, tweet. So thank you so much for this space that you gave us. That's it for today's special edition of the Data Knots podcast. You can reach me at ECBanks on Twitter, and my blog is EthanCBanks.com. Greg Farrow is at EtherealMind and blogs at EtherealMind.com. Chris Wall will be back soon. In the meantime, follow him at Chris Wall, and his blog is WallNetwork.com. We Data Knots interview folks from all over the IT industry who are trying to do things better. Breaking down silos, pushing the design envelope, creating new tech, sharing with the community, learning, unlearning, improving, asking hard questions. We talk to them as they explore the IT universe taking us places we haven't already been. Until then, may your server lights blink, your chaos testing bring order, and your cables be cleanly managed.